Our text for today comes from John chapter 11, and it's another real, uh, real upper, so. <laughs> now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother, brother was Lazarus, now lay sick, uh, was the same one who poured out uh, perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified, glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, uh, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go to, back to Judea. Skipping down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mar Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the, in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was gone to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, how, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by, the, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, it's a cold one, but it's good to be together, isn't it? It's good to get out of the house, to get out of the uh, whatever Netflix-induced stupor we were all in over the last couple of days and uh, be together and sing some songs and, uh, and, praise the, and praise the Lord. So it's a good thing. Now, uh, I just wanted to follow up and talk about something Ashley spoke about this week, which is that this uh, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, which if you're familiar with Ash Wednesday, you know that it uh, 
is the beginning of Lent, which is the season that precedes Easter. So basically, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of a time where Christians begin to prepare their hearts for Easter. And part of the reason we observe this service at Grace Community, part of the reason we celebrate it together, is because of the importance of repentance in the Christian faith. Repentance. Now, repentance is a weird word, isn't it? It's kind of a strange word. It's a little, it can come off as feeling a little bit religious. But in all four of the Gospels, before Jesus begins his ministry, there is this weird guy, and his name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was uh, incredibly influential. His teaching apparently went all over the world, and he was also really eccentric. Have you ever known a very influential and eccentric person in your life? I don't know if you've known anybody like John, because he ate locust, which I would not advise, Uh, I haven't done it, but I'm assuming it doesn't taste very good. Uh, And he wore uh, clothes made out of camel hair, which are not comfortable. I rode a camel one time, and I will never do it again. Uh, uh, But this John, this this man who comes before Jesus, uh, the gospel tells us, comes before Jesus preaching a message of repentance. So before Jesus is on the scene, we have this messenger of repentance. It's kind of like, if you can think about John's role in the story, it's kind of like in the spring when a farmer has to go through and before he can plant, has to till up the ground, has to fertilize the ground, has to prepare something, has to prepare the ground for this planting. And John is almost like that farmer who tills up the ground in anticipation of Jesus. And the way that he does that is by calling people to repentance. Repentance. You see, here's the truth. Sin blinds us. It blinds us, and it holds us back from the powerful work that God wants to do in each of our lives. And this is a spiritual truth, isn't it? That sin holds us back and blinds us. And for that reason, from time to time, it is really important, I think, quite important, to set inside intentional time to ask the question, is there anything in my life that I need to clear out of the way in order to prepare the way for Jesus? Is there any hard ground in my heart that kind of needs to be broken up so that I can worship Jesus? What sin issues exist in my heart and life that I actually need to identify, that I need to repent of, so that I can open up just a little bit more space for the Spirit of God to come in and heal me, right? And so, the question of this season as we head towards Easter is, how do I prepare myself for Jesus to come in? How do, I, how do I free up more space in here for Jesus? And just like John the Baptist went before Jesus to till up the hard ground, preaching a message of repentance, I think it is important for each of us, all of us actually, to set aside time to intentionally focus on the condition of our heart. Right? Because how many of us know that like life will just wash over us? Have any of you ever been caught in the ocean by a big wave, right, and been knocked under and and then held under by that wave, and you get back up and you're hit by another wave, and you get back up and you're hit by another wave, and then a lifeguard comes and says to you, stand up, it's three feet of water, right? 
that's what life feels like, right? Especially amid a pandemic. It sometimes feels like wave after wave after wave just kind of rush into us, but just crash into us. But here's the thing. We need to set aside intentional time to step back from the kind of pulsating, uh, always busy world that we live in and focus on what it is that God has to say to us, to actually repent of those things that are holding us back and set aside an intentional, focused time to till up the ground and make space in our hearts for Jesus. This is what Ash Wednesday is all about. That's the purpose of the service. Because here's the truth, and here's what I'm convinced of. God wants to get a hold of us. God wants to get a hold of you in ways that he's not gotten a hold of you yet. He wants to get a hold of you because God wants us to be free. He wants us to live in the light and in the joy of his kingdom. And so he wants us to repent of those things which have distracted us or distorted us or led us in, down paths and in ways that are not helpful for us. And so this is, I think, what something like Ash Wednesday is all about. It's not a rule, it's not something we have to do, but it is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to look to God, to do that work in our lives and in our hearts. And so that's what we're going to do on Wednesday night. We will be online, so if you would like to join us online, you can do that. Uh, but here, as a church community, we're going to come, we're going to sing some songs, uh, we're going to worship God, we're going to receive communion together, and then we will have, uh, we will put ashes on the top of your hand if you're open to it. No pressure, uh, no foreheads this year due to pandemic, but uh, if you want to come, and we'll put it on the top of your hand, and it'll be good, a good opportunity. It's not a religious activity, it's just a symbol, it's just a sign of the fact that we want to step into a period of time where we look honestly at our own hearts and create space for Jesus. Because we know one thing for sure, the resurrection has come and is coming on Easter, and we want to be ready for what God wants to do in our lives, don't we? Amen. Amen. We do. All right. So that's my Ash Wednesday uh, informative little talk. So, but today... We are going to talk, we're going to finish up a series on prayer that we started three weeks ago. Uh, you know, we're calling this series Prayer for Normal People. And one of the things I run into time and time again with all of the no you normal people that I talk to on a regular basis is that prayer can be hard, prayer can be quite hard when we're in the midst of difficult seasons. Have any of you ever been in the middle of a difficult season? Just raise your hand right? See everybody. That makes you feel better. We, are, we all encounter difficult seasons, and prayer or communication with God can be difficult in the midst of those types of difficult seasons. Prayer becomes something that is not always easy for us when we lost a job or someone we love passes away or we go through a protracted season of anxiety or depression Maybe during this time of COVID, even though we have more time on our hands, prayer somehow seems more difficult, whether that's because of the added time that we don't know what to do with or because of the social isolation that we are experiencing. Prayer from time to time just feels hard, partially because of the circumstances of our lives. And, but that doesn't remove 
the opportunity that prayer provides for us and the, the need we all have, even amidst the hard and difficult patches we experience in our life, to step into the place of prayer, to not cut off communication with God or our availability to God simply because things feel hard. You see, it's actually the opposite in some ways. That when things are most difficult, when life seems to be on the rocks more than usual, that we need to press into that place, specifically because there's an invitation in Scripture for us to draw near to God in the midst of difficult times. The Scriptures tell us that God is close to the brokenhearted, even though when your heart is broken, it can sometimes be hard to feel that way. You know, even when we feel far to God, and maybe when specifically we feel furthest from God, is the, are the moments at which God wants to be and is most near to us. And so how do we pray? How do we pray in the midst of those situations? How do we pray when life is difficult? When we're in the pit and it feels like the enemy is winning and there is, just feels like there is literally nothing breaking our way. How do we pray? When a tragedy is struck and our lives ter are turned upside down and the future doesn't make any sense to us anymore, how do we pray? I want to talk about this idea of how do we pray in the midst of difficult times, specifically by looking at the story that we heard read today, the story of Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus. Now, on the surface, this story is not about prayer. But I think it functions as a really, really helpful story, an analogy for how we should orient our hearts in difficult times and actually pray, to lean into prayer and to lean into the character of God when things get difficult. In this story, uh, this is in John's account uh, of Jesus' life, in John's gospel, uh, we have a story of two of Jesus' closest friends and followers, Mary and Martha, a pair of sisters, and their brother who dies. Now, in the beginning of the story, Lazarus is apparently very, very sick. And Mary and Martha send a word to Jesus that their brother is sick. And they say, actually, these inter this interesting line, they say, the one you love is sick, which is fascinating, right? It communicates to us in the story both that Jesus was probably very close to Lazarus and in a similar way that he was close to Mary and Martha. It seems apparently he was one of Jesus' followers as well. But also I think it communicates to us that God loves Lazarus. Jesus loves Lazarus. What he wants for Lazarus is what he wants for all of us, right? This, what happens to Lazarus is not due to a lack of God's love for him, Right? He is beloved by Jesus, regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself in. It just so happens that the circumstances Lazarus finds himself in is sick and quickly approaching death in this story, right? So, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus gets, is told by a messenger, apparently, that the one he loves is sick, that Lazarus is sick. And Mary and Martha, having followed Jesus, having been a, a part of Jesus' group of disciples, you know, in the story of the Gospels, we see that Jesus has 12 disciples, but we also learn that there was a, another circle of uh, over 100, sometimes, disciples who followed Jesus um, as he went about Galilee, around the Judean wilderness even, preaching and healing people. And so they believe. 
They believe that Jesus has the power to heal their sick brother. But what does Jesus do? He lollygags, right? He lollygags. Jesus doesn't go directly to Lazarus. He waits a few days where he is, apparently intentionally, and then uh, he goes. He goes back to the place where Lazarus is, and what he finds is that Lazarus has been dead for four days, has, uh, did not survive. And here's where I think things are interesting. Because in the story, everything at this point feels kind of dark, and you're wondering, wh what in the world has Jesus done this? What's the purpose behind this? The, what's the purpose behind what Jesus has done here? And I think this story functions for us as, again, as a kind of analogy for how we pray in the midst of difficult times. How we can lean into the character and the purposes of God. The story can be instructive for us in the midst of our struggle and our dark moments. So the first thing I think this story communicates to us this morning is that on our way to resurrection, we will sometimes experience disappointments that we cannot explain. Have you ever experienced a disappointment in your life that you still don't really have an answer to? Jesus tells his disciples why he's being slow, right? I don't think they really understood, but he says, he says that I'm going to just something, something of the kingdom of God is going to be put on display here, right? This is what Jesus says to his followers. But he doesn't tell Mary and Martha what he's doing, does he? They don't, they don't have any clue what Jesus is doing. And you and I will experience things in our life that seem to have no explanation. They have no rhyme or reason in our world. Sometimes we simply don't have access to why we get cancer, why people get cancer. I had two friends in college who got cancer, young men in college. One of them passed away when he was 21 years old of terminal cancer. And I don't have an explanation for why that happened. There's no discernible reason from my perspective. And in those moments, we can be cut, we can be gutted, and prayer seems like, at the, in those moments, it seems like it can be like the farthest thing from us, doesn't it? But that lack of understanding should not hold us back from the place of prayer. Now, I do not believe that God is in meticulous control of all things. He is sovereign, but, his sovereign, but in his sovereignty, I don't believe he gives people cancer or, uh, or in his sovereignty causes things to, bad things to happen to us necessarily. Rather, he is sovereign because while he does not cause all things, he does work in and through all things to accomplish his goodwill and purpose. And while we can't always see or explain the reason for something, we can know that Jesus is at work, that God is at work in the midst of that thing. Jesus may not have answered the plea of Mary and Martha the way that they had ex were expecting him to answer them, right? If you have a miracle working friend who, you, who you've seen time after time after time after time heal sick people, when, you're close, when your closest friend, your brother, and one of the closest friends of that particular miracle worker gets sick, you would expect him to do the same thing you've seen him do time and time again, right? But he doesn't. That's not what he does. You know, 
we can't see what God is up to in the midst of our broken situations all the time. But I promise you, he is in the middle of those thing, that thing, working all things together for good. And that promise should give us great confidence, even amid the pains and difficulties and troubles of our lives, that we can bring them to Jesus. We can be confident that God is at work, even when we can't see what he is doing. Even in our most devastated moments, we can still... We can still hold out hope that God is at work and that he's working to bring good even out of that dark thing. But notice in this story that just because we can have confidence that things will happen to us that we can't explain but that God is at work in the midst of them does not mean we should not ask hard questions. It does not mean we shouldn't even vocalize our displeasure or discomfort with the situation that we are living in. You see, in this story, Mary and Martha both ask Jesus tough questions. In verse 32 of chapter 11 of John's gospel, we read this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would still, uh, would not have died. He'd still be alive. Now, in, in the Greek, this is, where were you? Where were you? Why weren't you here? Have you ever felt like that? Where are you, God? Why aren't you here? Mary gives Jesus like a kind of verbal tongue lashing, right? She is ticked off. And she, and she verbalizes it to God. Both Mary and Martha do this to him. Back to back. They both have this question for Jesus. They both get frustrated with him. If my brother, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you can hear the grief in her voice, but you can also hear the anger in her voice, can't you? And notice that while Jesus is getting ready to do something amazing, he's in the midst of doing something amazing. That's my kid running up to here. It's no big deal. In the same way, he doesn't get mad at he doesn't get mad at, the, at these friends of his for getting mad at him. He's not frustrated with the fact that they verbalized this. He, he somehow bears with them in this difficulty. And in the same way, when we pray through difficult situations, we are not called to simply throw our hands up in silent resignation and say, oh, well, God, it must be up to something. I'll just trust him. No. That's not what we're expected to do in the scriptures. We are actually invited to pray honestly, to bring to God whatever it is we are feeling, to ask tough questions, to express to God our deep pain, even anger when we feel it. But even as we express our pain to God in its rawest form, in its most, uh, at its most uh, open this story shows us that we can still take great comfort in the fact that we can know one all-encompassing truth. Even as, we, even as we get frustrated and angry and express our anger to God in prayer, we can still take solace in knowing that God dwells with us in our pain. So this changes the, the dynamic of prayer a little bit, doesn't it? If you know this for sure. You can be frustrated with God, 
You can express the fact that you wish things would, wouldn't have gone this way, that why didn't he do what he said he would do? Why didn't he step in the way he should have stepped in? That changes the dynamic of, of prayer, and those are appropriate things to voice to God in prayer. But here's what transforms that into something slightly different. The truth that God dwells with us in our pain. Because when you pray to a God, you are not simply praying to a being that is up in the sky, kind of orchestrating events, and is somehow distanced from the thing that you've just experienced. Now, how do we know that God dwells with us in our pain? Well, it's all over the scriptures. That God is brought close to those who are brokenhearted. But in this story, we see it exemplified in the heart of God, full stop. In verse 33, we read this. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. Again, after this passage, it says again that Jesus was deeply moved by the situation that he sees. We are told that Jesus weeps when he sees, not the fact that Lazarus is dead, he was, a little he was a little too cavalier for my liking, that the fact that Lazarus was dying, to be honest with you. But the thing that moved him was the sadness of his friends. It was the grief of his friends that moved him to compassion. Up until this point, Jesus has been quite sure, right? He's been very confident of what he is going to do. But even the, despite the fact that he knows that a resurrection is on its way, he weeps with those who weep. This is who God is. This is what the heart of God looks like. He sees the pain of his friends, and it moves him to tears because he loves them, right? He loves them. He loves Lazarus. It says, the one you love, and he loves you and me. He loves you and me. You may feel abandoned. That's a feeling that you, will, you and I will have from time to time in our lives, abandonment. But you're not. You're not abandoned. God is with you in your pain. He loves you so much that he's willing to get inside of that with you to experience it with you. And because we know that God dwells with us in our pain, stands in solidarity with us in the midst of our broken situation, we can pray. It transforms our angry questions and our, uh, our confrontational prayers, right? It changes them somehow when you know that God is with you. That he dwells in the midst of that situation. That he's as uh, disturbed by that as you are. God is not stoic. He's not silently removed from the difficulties we face in our lives. He's with us. And he dwells with us in our pain, in our difficulty, in our frustration. And he stands beside us. He stands with us in the midst of the difficulties of our lives. And though we don't feel it, we must remember, though we don't always feel it, we must remember that where there is pain, where there is struggle, where there is hurt, 
God is there, always there. And some of us need to be reminded of that fact. I know I do. Now, but that's not the end of the story, is it? Because after Jesus weeps, something else happens. Because as we encounter God in our lives, as we pray through difficult situations that we will encounter in this life, there's one other fact that we have to keep front of mind as we engage with God in prayer. And that is that we always must hold out hope for the resurrection. Always. Difficulty in our lives should never be devoid of the reality of the resurrection. Here's what we read in John's account here, in, beginning in verse 21. Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that, that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, right? With great faith, Martha comes to Jesus. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Okay, thanks. Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, he asks. And she says, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. You know, the irony of Martha's words here is that she does not think Jesus is about to go and do what Jesus is about to go and do. She believes that in the end, in the last day, this Lazarus will be raised from the dead with God's people. But Jesus wants to make a point here. He wants to show both Martha and Mary and all of those who look on that there is something powerful, not just about what God will do on the last day, but there is something powerful about Jesus himself, who he is. The reason we can pray in the midst of difficult times is that we cling to the truth that Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, is the resurrection and the life. That, that Jesus himself defeated death and has the power to defeat death for us. And that no matter what happens in our lives, even if it looks like in the moment death wins, even if our prayers seem to go unanswered, even if we're just kind of caught in the limbo, that limbo space that so, we can feel caught in sometimes in this life, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And his promise is that whoever lives by believing in him will never die, will never taste death, the language is put in other parts of scripture. You see, the promise of Jesus is not that we will avoid suffering in this life. That's not promised to any of us. Jesus actually promises the opposite of that. He actually, the, he actually promises suffering, right? But the promise of Jesus is also that in our current sufferings, the, the, the current things we experience in this life pale in comparison to the glory that God is working to bring about in your life and in my life. 
Here's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, today might look dark, but in the end, it's all glorious. Today might feel difficult, but in the end, there's a resurrection. Now, the question we was, might be stuck in all of our heads. Well, Jesus resurrected Lazarus, right? He did this powerful work. Why doesn't he just do this now? Why do I got to wait to the end, right? He did it for him. Why do I have to wait? Again, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Sometimes we wait. Sometimes God, does sometimes God does the miraculous in our midst. But the thing we hold on to is the thing that Paul says in Romans 8. That whatever it looks like, we must take solace, take faith, take comfort in knowing that whatever it looks like, whatever it feels like now, God is more powerful than the pain and difficulty you and I experience in our lives. If he, if he wasn't, then he wouldn't be God. And he is more than capable of turning that thing into a powerful and glorious resurrection. And if it doesn't happen in this life, it's just going to be all the more glorious at the end. All the more. You see, if you live in light of the end, if you live in light of this reality, if you live in light of the resurrection, then it transforms the way you pray in and through your pain. It doesn't always make everything feel better in the moment. It doesn't. Sometimes it does. But it does give us hope. Not like a, not like a surface level bobber on the top of the water type of hope, but like a deep down anchor type of hope that keeps us steady when the storm comes. You see, when we, when we stand upon the resurrection of Jesus and hope in the resurrection to come, we live our lives on the sure foundation that what feels like weeping today will end in joy. Eugene Peterson, in his commentary on the Psalms, says this. He says that all, all, all prayer ends with praise. All prayer ends with praise. There might be some lament in the middle of it. There might be some mourning along the way. There might be some difficulty that we encounter. But all prayer ends in praise. You see, the truth is that if you believe in Jesus, if you, to quote verse 26, if you live by believing in me, Jesus says, there is a kind of buoyant hope at the end of all things that carries us through. And we believe that though things are difficult, that though pain is real, that there is a resurrection coming. And that gives us great hope in the midst of our praying, doesn't it? A hope that can never be taken away from us. This is why for the early Christians, the scriptures say that they did not love their lives unto death. It wasn't because they were, they were like just masochistic and they wanted to die. No, that's not it at all. They just believed that death was not the final word, right? 
They just believed that that was not the, that was not the period on the end of the sentence of their lives because of the fact that Jesus himself rose from the dead. This is kind of an Easter message to start off Lent, but just roll with me here, guys. Jesus raised from the dead. It's as sure and as attested of a historical fact, if ever there was a historical fact uh, that comes to us uh, from ancient history. Jesus rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can have great confidence that whatever pain you're experiencing in your life is going to experience a resurrection as well. Amen? Amen. And because of that, we pray. We pray with hope. We pray with tears. We pray with sadness. But we pray with the resurrection in mind. Will you stand with me this morning? You know, I don't know where we're all at today. I really don't. But I know in a room full of people, some of us are experiencing a difficulty in our lives. And it's possible that some of you are in the midst of a, a period in your life where prayer just doesn't feel like something that feels particularly easy or like something I should be doing. And so this morning, what I want to do as we conclude is just in a moment of prayer before the Lord, that we would ask him to help us to enter the place of prayer, to be guided into his presence, knowing that he loves us, that he sits with us in that difficulty, but also, also, that whatever pain we're experiencing right now, whatever brokenness we feel in our own hearts, this is not the end. If it's not okay, then it's not the end. And we take solace in the knowledge of the resurrection. And we know that we worship this resurrected Lord, this one who is life and love to us. So if you're in this place this morning, and if you're in one of those moments, uh, I just want to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, in an attitude of prayer, let's, uh, let's turn to the Lord for just a second here before we get away. Father, we love you. And this morning, God, we acknowledge the fact that we, we sometimes come to you with empty hands. We sometimes come to you in the midst of broken situations, without all of the answers, not knowing which way is up. And I pray for my friends this morning, if there's anyone in this place who is in that spot, they just don't feel as though the as though they have much direction and maybe they feel the, that they're experiencing some type of pain in their lives and if connecting with God in and through that feels difficult to them. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be near uh, those who are hurting this morning, God. But that they, you wouldn't just like leave them in that spot, but that you would uh, draw them to God in prayer. That they wouldn't neglect uh, their relationship with Jesus in the midst of a difficult time and that they would see and know that there is a good God who longs to be with them, to be near them, even though they're experiencing this difficulty. God, I pray that though we are so often short-sighted that we could focus our attention on you and that we could take great hope in the power of your resurrection, which is available for all of us.
and that we would see and believe that that resurrection is coming for each and every one of us, regardless of what we're experiencing. Jesus, we love you, and we ask that you would help us to love you more. We pray it all in your name this morning. Amen, and amen, and amen. Well, thanks for being here today. If you brought a gift, you can place it in the box on your way out. Uh, we'll see you on Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday. Go to today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.